that's how the buying group makes their money is that they, yeah. they make a certain percentage off of everything that's, that's purchased through the group. So, um, so the, uh, you know, the distributors, they're all purchasing three, five, you know, billion dollars worth of, of, of goods, whatever yeah. it is, you know, the buying groups gets, uh, you know, 5% or whatever it is on, on the, uh, of, of the overall, or maybe it's 10%. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm, Elevate IQ. Digital commerce initiatives require your product, channel, and customer data in order. Or they might not pay off as you might never get the desired results from them as you expect. While both B2B and B2C e-commerce efforts have their share of challenges, the B2B space experiences complex relationships and hierarchies that drive the process intricacies. These relationships could be because of how the relationships are set up, how contracts are structured, and how each of them are paid in the relationship. In today's episode, our guest, Jay Schneider, shares his insights into how B2B digital commerce processes differ from B2C. He compares and contrasts B2B sales and marketing trends such as buying groups, marketplaces, and group purchasing organizations that have been on the rise. Finally, he provides insights into the product data and why it is important for B2B distributors to keep their house in order to be successful with the e-commerce initiatives. Let me introduce Jay to you. Jay Schneider is the founder and CEO of B2B Squared, a strategic B2B agency specializing in digital commerce for manufacturing and distribution. In the past decade plus in agencies, software companies, and now consulting, Jay has helped a multitude of B2B companies build roadmaps, select digital platforms, build e-commerce content programs and establish digital leadership inside MarketServe. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Jay. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Sam. Glad to be here. And I am super excited to have you as well because the kind of depth you are going to have in the industrial distribution space, I don't think most people understand how difficult that gets from the process perspective as well as from the system perspective. So we are going to have a lot of fun. Just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story and your current focus, Jay? Sure. Yeah. Jay Schneider uh, with B2B Squared, um, the uh, founder and CEO, um, basically been in the e-commerce, B2B e-commerce space for uh, some time. Prior to that was in uh, business to business media. And so I've uh, been really blessed uh, to be in this business to business space for a long time. And in media, I you know helped manufacturers and distributors try to figure out how to move goods through certain industries and in e-commerce, uh, 
uh, I'm really kind of doing the same thing. So we work with manufacturers and distributors, uh, helping them, you know, start e-commerce, uh, build out uh, digital product offerings, um, you know, content uh, and everything else. So, um, so, so yes, along the way, we've uh, certainly been, uh, we worked with a lot of manufacturers and worked with a lot of uh, associations and buying groups too. So uh, happy to uh, help share whatever I can in that regard. Yeah, very cool. And it's going to be so much fun discussing, you know, how they work, etc. You know, so we are going to dig into all of that. Before we do that, we have one of these standard questions that we ask every okay. single guest that come on the show. And that is going to be, Jay, your perspective on business growth. Okay. <laughs> business growth, from my perspective, is, uh, you know, uh, huge. Uh, so, you know, in the in the digital commerce area, which is what I what we call what we do. So yep. that includes e-commerce, digital product data, all of these, you know, digital content, that's all digital commerce. And, yep. and so uh, outside of the uh, the firewall is uh, where, where most of it lives. But, you know, COVID has obviously accelerated a lot of what was going to happen anyway. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the the traditional sales models of, uh, uh, you know, person to person sales, uh, on site sales, things like that. Um, not that they've gone away, obviously, as, as COVID is, uh, is is moving in the rearview mirror, many companies are getting back to what they kind of did before. But the reality is, is that uh, uh, the, the, the digital side has accelerated significantly during COVID. And so um, what was probably going to happen in two or three years ended up happening in about a year. So, uh, so my prospect uh, for the future in terms of uh, digital commerce, uh, sky's the limit is going to continue to grow uh, really strongly. Okay, very interesting. And when we look at the, the buying groups, right? So I don't know how long buying groups have been in the industrial distribution space. Maybe you can provide a little bit of history lesson, uh, you know, here, how long they have been operating, what has been their incentive. But from the model perspective, I don't <clears> know if they are going to be comparable to unions. I know unions have been there, you know, for a while. They have been there for a very long time. So do you want to talk about how buying groups were formed? Is it a new concept in the market? Uh, is it a very old concept? Is it growing? What's happening overall with respect to buying yeah. groups as far as the industrial distribution goes? Yeah, great question. Um, so the reality is... Um, Buying groups have been around for quite some time, okay. um, and uh, when you look at certain industrial, you know, certain spaces, really, uh, you know, if you even get into the medical space, like if you look at uh, cooperatives and and GMOs and some yeah. of those types of folks, you know, those have been uh, around for a lot of time, and so um, you also um, have, uh, you know, as uh, as you're alluding to in, in the industrial space, yeah. uh, a lot of buying groups like uh, IMARC and affiliated distributors and yeah and other buying groups that are in that space they've been around for quite some time i mean uh, you know at least 30 40 years um and and basically um they were spawned out of a need for um you know companies to negotiate yeah. uh, some favorable terms in terms of pricing and stuff like that with manufacturers and so that really became sort of the uh, uh the the catalyst 
catalyst for it. And so what you see is buying groups that are yeah. organized um, for, and, and most of the ones we work with, uh, you know, are, are, are organized for distributors. Um, so affiliated distributors or IMARC or, um, you know, IWDC, uh, which is for welders and, and some of these yeah. other buying groups are all, uh, the members are the distributors. And so what they do is then turn to suppliers, manufacturers, and negotiate pricing for the members um, in, in inside of the buying group. And so um, so that's that's kind of the model. The buying group makes money, yeah. uh, basically rebates yeah. on everything that's sold through the channel. So uh, so this is how the model works and, and this is how it's worked in the past. One of the things that you're seeing now in yeah. the last few years is many of these buying groups um, trying to build uh, e-commerce um, you know, opportunities for their members or, or ways that their members can, can participate or be preferred in yeah. e-commerce. Yeah, very interesting. And honestly speaking, I mean, when I was talking to a lot of different people, and again, it could be sometimes the commercial concept, sometimes the same concept exists in the industrial space as well. Uh, you know, I was reading a bunch of reports, and uh, I think they said that the, the role of GPOs Group purchasing organization. I don't know if you are familiar with the concept that is similar to what you are describing here. Uh, you know, they are also, also buying group. I don't know if they act as sort of the association or they are typically going to be slightly more commercial organization where they are going to offload the entire procurement. It's going to be more of the managed procurement that they like to do, but they are going to be sort of negotiating the terms and the reason why they can do better job is because they are working with a lot of different customers. They are also working with a lot of different suppliers and they are going to have their own system. So when, you know, if you are a company and if you are, let's say, working with just one group, obviously you are not going to have as much data. But, you know, some of these GPOs, uh, especially mm -hmm. in the indirect spend space, okay? So indirect spend, when I say, if it is going to be human resources in these staffing agencies, there are a lot mm -hmm. of players right now in the market. And what they do is they are going to have this vendor approval system, the vendor, uh, you know, marketplace rights inside their system. And they are typically comparing, okay, which vendor is going to be supplying and which vendor is not going to be supplying. So there is far mm -hmm. more rigid process overall in terms of the qualification, certification. And then finally, obviously, they are the ones who have a lot of clout in terms of the negotiation. So do you see mm -hmm. buying group as the similar concept, slightly different? What, what would be your perspective? Fairly, fairly similar um, in that they they are involved in the negotiation of pricing um, yeah. and and they obviously represent a lot of different customers so if if we just take for instance affiliate distributors yeah um, affiliate distributors uh, you know is uh, at one point in time had six different verticals I think they have a, a couple more different verticals now yeah. but their verticals were things like electrical and plumbing and HVAC yeah. and and some of those areas and um, over time you know, what, what they did was uh, a little bit of research to find out, you know, what is, you know, what, for their members, what is the, what does the future look like? And, and, and what are the things that are potentially challenging for their members? And, and what they found was uh, digital disruption was by far yeah. the greatest 
potential disruptor to their own membership. So, yeah. um, so that's how they started getting into the e-commerce side. So, so the the pricing gets negotiated, you know, again for the uh, for the members. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's an active role. I'm not involved in in the actual procurement uh, side of things from like a GPO perspective or anything like that yeah. um, on on that side of it. But um, but I do know that the from from the buying groups like AD and and, and iMark, those prices are established. And and what they've done in in addition to that now is yeah. add in the product data. So they're working with suppliers to yeah. standardize taxonomies for certain, um, you know, uh, product groups, uh, offerings, and, and, and basically across, I don't know, 10 different verticals. So I think they've, you know, they're, they're millions and millions of SKUs now that they have enriched uh, over time and now deliver to their 850 members. So, uh, so affiliate distributors, to your point, yeah. um, has, has actually grown through this. Once they started the e-commerce program, they were, they became a really attractive, um, you know, opportunity for other buying groups who who were too small to really make the investment yeah and so what they were able to do is, uh, affiliate distributors acquired them um, and uh, has acquired a couple of groups now and basically just just brought them underneath the umbrella of affiliate distributors so um, so yeah it's been a great it's been a great thing for for the buying groups as well because those who have been successful have have managed to, to grow their own portfolio out of it as well very, very, very interesting. So let's say if I am the manufacturer and uh, I am trying to work with a buying group, because, you know, if I work with the buying group, then I am probably going to get all of their member companies. So obviously, it's a big deal for me. Uh, the way I like to compare this with is, you know, as our business, you know, we are in the ERP business, right? Uh, so right. for us, let's say if we go after private equity company, we know that if we get one company, then we are probably going to get 20 others. Uh, you know, so it's a jackpot right. for us, right? So this is probably a jackpot for manufacturers as well. If they are, uh, you know, going to go with the buying group, you know, I, I don't know if all of the member companies are going to be sort of eligible to buy from this manufacturer. So let's say if I am trying to get a buying group as the customer, walk me through the process how the process is going to look like, because you also mentioned the, the skew taxonomy, right? So obviously that has to be probably aligned. Right. I need to match which, which skew am I saying? Right. If they don't have the skew, then, you know, I probably need to right. go through a very long approval process. Correct. So, so yeah, from the manufacturer perspective, walk me right. through the process. Right. So from the manufacturer's perspective, um, let's say, for instance, that you were interested in, in the... 850 distribution members that affiliated distributors has. Yeah. Um, yes. One of the first things you would probably want to do is get your own house in order. And that's one of the things that I think uh, manufacturers are struggling with themselves these days. Yeah. Many manufacturers have, have grown through acquisition. Yeah. Um, many other, you know, many of them uh, are starting to realize how important uh, digital product data is right. um, to their channel partners. Yeah. Um, but uh, but getting that in order first would be a really great thing. Or along the way, now uh, affiliate distributors has also uh, basically built a program that allows that helps onboard manufacturers. Right. So if you're interested in the group, basically they will help you um, with the SKUs that are applicable. If you have SKUs that uh, that, that that go into the industrial space or yeah. you know into the plumbing space, um, they will help you uh, enrich those SKUs. Now, some of that has to come from the, the, the distribution members. Yeah. There has to be, um, you know, they they start out with basically the 90-10 the or 
20 rule yeah. uh, of SKUs that they want enriched. And, you know, over time, they, they keep picking off uh, suppliers and, and um, you know, uh, market areas that, uh, that, are, that are more and more, you know, important. So uh, the important stuff starts first, and then they, they keep, uh, keep rolling on from there. So, so, yeah, as a manufacturer, you would definitely want to make sure you had your own uh, house in order, uh, yeah. so to speak, if you could. Um, but there are programs from some of these uh, distributors or some of these uh, buying groups to, to help. Now, again, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking about affiliate distributors quite a, quite a bit here because yeah. they have probably, well, I don't think it's probably, I think it's probably the, 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 the most robust program yeah. uh, in distribution that I've seen. Yeah. Um, there, there are many other, uh, you know, so, or buying groups that are, that are, uh, you know, that are attempting to, to start programs or have programs, uh, you know, in, in basically in either their plans or, or, or what have you. So, so they're not quite as far along, but, um, but, but those are, that's basically where things stand right now. So. Yeah. Very cool. So I definitely want to touch a little bit more on your comment related to keeping house in order, uh, because obviously a, there could be a degree of, uh, how much order do you want to have in the house, right? right. And, and yeah. I am going to compare this with the Amazon experience. So let's say if you are trying to attack Amazon as your channel, and obviously Amazon is going to be equally powerful as your buying group. So let's say if I can go to affiliate distributor, I'm probably going to get 850 distributor, you know, who are going to be distributing my product. But if I go to right. Amazon, a lot of companies get 40, 50% of revenue just from Amazon channel. So obviously, from the revenue perspective, mm -hmm. that is going to be equally powerful. So when, when you say, you know, getting your house in order, okay, right. when you are going with Amazon, if you speak with a seasoned Amazon consultant, one advice they are going to have is have complete separate PNL, okay? Otherwise, you are going to right. get in trouble. <laughs> and the right. reason why they yeah. advise is because, you know, Amazon could uh, can actually put a lot of chargebacks. Obviously, the product data is going to be important, but there are a lot of operational uh, implications you know that you need to have if you are not mm -hmm. able to ship the good in the in the amount of time that they are permitting then obviously they are going to penalize you so from your right. perspective when you define keeping your house in order can you define right. what is the bare minimum that yeah yeah, yeah. let's let's talk about that yeah yeah that's yeah? that's a, that's great so i think it's a good a good um good opportunity to talk about channel strategy yeah, right yeah, yeah. so so we have you know we we have we have marketing channels yeah. we have sales channels so yeah. if i'm a manufacturer amazon is is a sales channel right yeah. because i i directly sell product into that channel yeah. so so now I, I have to think about fulfillment i have to think about you know all of the other things you just talked about um, product data is part of that um, I'll, I'll come back around to product data in a minute because that's okay. the part that i think is is really interesting but as far as the channel strategy goes now i'm talking about channel partners yeah. like uh, like affiliated distributors and the distributors that are that are within that umbrella right. now that's a that's a marketing channel right so i'm not directly selling product through that organization i'm basically negotiating rates and and it's a pull through right so yeah. um so the members are are, are are placing orders um but they're doing it at a negotiated price so yeah so the house in order really is about your product data um so if um 
um, you know, and, and I think Amazon is a really great example uh, to compare and contrast what yeah. it would take to be successful in each space. So if you look at product data in Amazon and people talk about the Amazon experience, yeah. uh, what I always like to say in B2B is if you try to replicate the Amazon experience, it, you're liable, it, that will kill you, right? <laughs> yep. It's not, it's not the same experience because if you look at Amazon, they don't have nearly the attribution in terms of B2B SKUs that you yep. would have in, say, a distributor, right? Yep. So if you're looking, uh, you know, going and looked at electrical switches or whatever, yep. um, you know, any, any B2B, uh, you know, uh, valves or anything, you know, you've got uh, diameters, you've got thread counts, you've got, you know, you've got all sorts of different attributes. So those, that's the house in order that I think you really need to have as a manufacturer. Yep. Most manufacturers, they have what I call like the, the, the digital shoebox, right? Yeah. It's like, uh, here's my product data, you know, and uh, it's, uh, it's some over here, it's some in some spreadsheets, it's some, you know, some other stuff that's over in graphics and, uh, and, and, you know, somebody's, you know, now needs to pull it all together so that we can start syndicating that data in some sort of, uh, you know, organize, organized manner yeah. to not only channel partners like AD, but also, you know, other distribution partners and such. So. Very, very, very cool. So uh, I definitely want to get much deeper into the transactions. But before I do that, you know, I have one more macro question that I want to get your perspective on. So one of the leading trends and where the investor money is going right now, if you actually monitor the market uh, in the e-commerce manufacturing space, is going to be for marketplaces. Okay. And these mm -hmm. marketplaces are, again, you know, they are trying to sort of create similar concept as you have the right. e-commerce experience. So initially you had mentioned that, you know what? Now, these uh, buying groups, they are trying to create the e-commerce experience. So mm -hmm. is that going to be similar to marketplace or marketplace is going to be more of the buying groups? Uh, where is the overlap and where is the line yeah. here? <laughs> it's a it's a really great question, and and the, the short answer is I don't know how it's all gonna gonna shake shake out. I think yeah. it's I think it's gonna be really fascinating to watch. Um, so so the way the way it stands today, yeah. Um, you know these buying groups that have that do have e-commerce programs like affiliated distributors and some others. It's really just a content program, yeah. Right. It's really just a just it's it's a um, it's it's a pipe, right? It's yeah. a, it's 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 flowing data into uh, their distributor members, uh, you know, respective uh, portals so that they can do their own e-commerce, right? Yeah. So, so that's, that's really just a content thing at this point. Whereas marketplaces really, uh, you know, the, the, the opportunity for, for many marketplaces, especially in the B2B space, which I think is really infantile right now, <laughs> yep. um, I, I think you'll see a lot more of it. And, and that will look a lot more like Amazon yep. sales channel than it will like, uh, you know, a buying group, which is a marketing channel. So that's my, that's my uh, prediction. Uh, I, we'll see how it all shakes out in the end. So very, very, very interesting the way you are defining the boundary between the sales and marketing channel, but they are actually charging the rebates and they are, I mean, in my mind, they are more of the uh, group procurement channel as opposed to the marketing channel, uh, but you are positioning them as marketing. So that's very interesting perspective. Yeah. <laughs> 
They, they only because a sales channel you would sell directly through, right? Yes. And and so so while there is sales that, that occur through a buying group, um, really it's it's more of a it's more of a marketing relationship because it's it's a negotiated price, and each of the members are are you know are doing their own fulfillment uh, and their own direct buying with the the manufacturers <laughs> that are established as uh, manufacturers um, that are in the buying group. So that's very interesting. So now let's go back to in uh, you know the the transactions and i really want to understand how the contracts are structured how typically transactions flow for the buying group and since you mentioned that you know what buying groups have been there for roughly 30 40 years so my understanding is going to be that you know the erp systems and the systems they probably have captured the processes related to the buying groups but when i look at the overall structure of the buying groups i have not found any sort of erp systems or any other system that sort of have the buying group processes, right? So it's in my experience, when I used to do any sort of complex implementation, one of the things that I never wanted to touch in my life is going to be, if you're dealing with Walmart, don't call me. I don't want to be part of that implementation because it's a right. nightmare, okay? I, I'll right. tell you why it is a nightmare because the kind of invoice they are going to have, the kind of order flow they are going to have, it breaks my whole implementation, to be honest, okay? Right. That's the reason why yeah. I never, now, today, I don't want to have any buying group, okay? The reason for right. that is because they become very, very, very complex. And just because of one customer, it breaks the whole implementation. So right now, if you actually look at the e-commerce ERP implementations, um, you know, we have some sort of, you know, HQ, the way you, you would have Walmart, and then you are going to have customers, and then you are going to have the, probably the ship tools right. underneath that. So I don't know right. how you would represent your buying groups, but it's a very interesting hierarchy, the way they transact. So what has been your experience? Yeah, to be honest with you, uh, inside the ERP, I don't have a lot of experience with how people are actually managing that. Yeah. Um, all I know is that there's a negotiated price for SKUs and volume and stuff like that that comes through the buying group um, for each of the distribution members. Um, as far as the actual procurement tools, uh, yeah. I don't either. I, I don't know of anything that's uh, specific to that either. Um, there, there could be some things out there. I, I'm not really sure, but that's, uh, again, we, we, we gen tend to do deal more outside of the, the firewall. And so I'm not sure how people are managing that inside the ERP and such. But um, but but yeah, the those the the as far as the SKUs and their pricing and volume, you know, discounts and other things, those are all kind of negotiated. Similar to like a, a you know GPO or something like that in in medical or whatever. Very, very similar that way, I think. Yeah. So I have personally seen a lot of different interesting trends. And it's not really a question of uh, you know, how they are managed in the system, but the kind of processes they have, they are very different. So I'll tell you one of the process that I was talking to one of the customer yesterday, and they are in the electrical distribution space, okay? okay. And and they are on a very, very, very legacy systems, okay? So now okay. the process could be the symptom of their limitations of the underlying system. It's a really, really old, uh, you know, <laughs> right. system. So obviously, maybe they couldn't do some of the things such as back order, or, uh, you know, when you talk about the blanket purchase order, you know, blanket purchase order is the agreement that you set up front. And then after that, you are going to be releasing the quantity as you move along so that you are not getting different price each time you are transacting. You right. are already a customer. You already have an agreement in place that I am looking to buy 1,000, 5,000 products, let's say, in next year or two. And then you are simply going to be releasing the quantity from that. So now what these guys are doing, they have created a process called release. And I have okay. never seen 
release term in the e-commerce space to be honest okay maybe oh, you wow. have seen okay so no. when you when you say release okay, <laughs> so typically that's going to be okay you have the the blanket purchase order that you are getting from your i don't know maybe buying group because you have the negotiated price i don't know right. how the in case of buying group the order process is slightly simpler because their members are actually placing the order and then you send mm-hmm. the invoice to your buying group that's how the process works right. uh, you know with yeah. the buying group but in this right. case what they are doing is they have this blanket process and then they are calling it release so they are actually getting an order along with order number they have to mention the release number now in your experience right. have you ever seen what is a release i mean i've never seen that in any i time. i have not i've not seen a release that's a, that's a kind of a, a new one on me so uh, i'm not exactly sure again how they how they manage this uh, inside the association and stuff like that i do know that the buying group uh you know they track all of the purchases uh i'm not sure if that's done through um like if there's an order uh, platform or or if each of the members you know uh runs a report at the end of the month or or how that's done but i i know that the, the buying group will will track those so that they can get the rebate. That's how the buying group makes their money is that they, yeah. they make a certain percentage off of everything that's, that's purchased through the group. So, um, so the, uh, you know, the distributors, they're all purchasing three, five, you know, billion dollars worth of, of, of goods, whatever yeah. it is, you know, the buying groups gets, uh, you know, 5% or whatever it is on, on the, uh, of, of the overall, or maybe it's 10% uh, of the overall. So. Okay. So obviously, you know, there are various ways of accommodating the rebate and a rebate could mean a lot of different things right so personally right. and i don't know if the buying groups are going to have different arrangements so what i have seen with the buying group that we have worked with they typically are going to be responsible for billing their members are going to be responsible for placing the order and then obviously they need to have their own internal processes meaning they right. are collecting they are uh paying for the members and then right finally Correct. they have to pay back to their members right so that they right. can keep so, their rebate. so that's another yeah that's another area that actually the buying groups make some money right because right. they've got a float they've got a 30-day float right they they uh you know the, the the member pays them and then they you know the trend then then they get the uh uh you know they get the the the, the money from the member or, or right away and then they've got 30 days with the manufacturer whatever it is so so they've got a 30-day float that they can actually uh, uh they can actually use when they're when they're placing the order and, and as far as the cash flow goes. So uh, so that's a, from my understanding is that's another area that the buying groups will will make a little bit of extra money too. Very interesting. So have you seen any buying groups that are going to be slightly more flexible? That okay, you guys go ahead and buy. Just send me the the uh, you know sales order, and I'm actually going to compute my commission and I'm going to invoice you. That's one way of doing it. The second way of doing it is, hey buddy, you know I don't trust you. I'm going to control the financials. Okay, I am going, you know, uh, whenever you want money, you know, talk to me, these guys can place the order, but anything related to money, I am the controller. And finally, I'm going to pay you once my commission is paid. So have you seen any buying right. groups being flexible with the arrangement? I'm not sure if I, I have not seen that in, in particular, but uh, it, it could be either one of those. I think that probably in the course, in the case of some of them, you, you will see them being more controlling uh, yeah. as, as the, the latter example you have. And, and I'm sure others, they may have other, they may have other relationships, but, uh, but yeah, I think for the most part, uh, they tend to be fairly um, controlling about the, uh, the cash flow um, because, you know, again, that that's 30, or 45 days worth of interest that they can make uh you know on 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 the way through so 
it's not just the interest. I mean, it's also that whether they are going to be paid or not, because any of the middlemen right. are probably going to be seen right. as, uh, you know, right. more of taking the interest and they don't want to tell them, you know, what, I don't know if they are going to be transparent in terms of the pricing, uh, but there might be some concerns there as well. Uh, so I don't know if there is any sort of yeah. confidentiality that they have, uh, you know, when they are setting up the the agreement. Uh, have you seen any any sort of one? No, I haven't seen anything. I again, I'm not I'm not uh, necessarily involved in that side of it as much. Okay. Uh, you know, we've gotten so so much more involved in the e-commerce side and in and, and uh, you know working with the distributors on that side. So. So when you look at the e-commerce, let's say if I'm looking at the e-commerce journey and I am working with one of the buying groups, right? I'm in the industrial mm -hmm. distribution space. I'm definitely going to have a uh, buying group as a channel, right? Uh, let's say if I'm supplying in the electrical HVAC, uh, those six verticals that you mentioned, the right. welding, you know, we are definitely going to see one of the buying groups. So how is my e-commerce journey going to be different compared to, let's say, traditional commerce? Okay. So if you're a distributor or if you're a manufacturer? Let's take both examples one at a time. Okay. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So as a distributor, uh, you know, the opportunity is, um, you know, I can join the association, or right. I can join the, the buying group. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and I can, I can get the negotiate, I can take advantage of the negotiated rates. Okay. Uh, and then I also have the ability to basically turn on the spigot and pull out the SKUs that are relevant to my business yeah. and, and put them into my e-commerce store uh, and know that they're enriched and, uh, and, and, and they're ready to go. Um, they are, you know, they, they have been built to, uh, you know, to, to accommodate e-commerce and, and the kind of, you know, high attribution and search and other things. Now, is it, is it turnkey? No. Um, many of the members of these associations still need help understanding, like, how do we, you know, how do we, how do we build search in order to, uh, you know, take advantage of, of all the content depth that would, that they have in their product data. Yeah. But, but that's the opportunity as a distributor. Now I have the opportunity to, to basically get enriched data for, you know, a, really a, a very uh, reasonable contract every month, a subscription every month that, uh, uh, that the distributor pays. From the manufacturer's perspective, uh, especially if I have, you know, uh, whether I do or don't have great, great content, you know, um, you know, it's an opportunity for for me to open uh, a channel that is e-commerce ready on some respect, right? So, so we're living in a digital first, uh, you know, uh, generation here. And, yeah. um, and so, especially in B2B, um, the opportunity to, you know, plug into an organization that can pipe my SKUs out to a number of distributors that yeah. could potentially, uh, you know, be selling, you know, right away online, um, you know, gives me a, a great opportunity to, um, you know, to, to open up business with, with really people that are largely like my channel partners anyway, if that's, if that's the kind of business I've been in. So. Very, very, very cool. So uh, very interesting perspective, by the way. And one of the things that I really want to touch on is going to be, uh, you know, things that are going to be channel conflict related. And when you mm -hmm. have buying groups in the mix, typically what I have personally seen is these members are going to be buying from the manufacturers. So obviously the distributors are buying from the, from the manufacturer. And after that, you know, let's say if the manufacturer is DTC, meaning they are selling through Amazon. Okay, now what mm -hmm. these distributors are going to do is they might end up selling on Amazon as well. Okay, so sometimes Correct. what may happen is you have a real channel conflict there, right? 
and then yes. the other things happen is okay manufacturers are going to have their manufacturers warranty so end user is actually going to be contacting manufacturer for the warranty mm-hmm. right so now they right. have got their contact information and they want to right. actually target the end consumer so have you seen any sort of contractual agreement between all of these because they are fighting with each other to be honest yeah. okay so i don't know uh, you know uh, in case of amazon i mean obviously they are very protective of their territory i mean they have very clear guidelines in terms of what you can do what you cannot do but in this particular right. case i don't think buying groups do they have any sort of protection uh, for everybody who is involved in the transaction mhm you know it's um, it's it's the um it's really the biggest question in all of this as it relates to b2b and in my opinion yeah. um what is this all going to look like in the end um you know if you look at distribution if you look at channel partners historically um you know they they inventory product yeah. um they had customers in certain regional areas and certain market spaces and all of these things right that that was the value that distributors brought many of many of these distributors are still bringing that same value today yeah. however the product catalog has changed right now the product catalog you know that that was you know 10000 skews or 20000 skews now is 200000 skews yeah. or it's half a million skews yep. and nobody's inventorying that right so now they're expecting manufacturers to drop ship and uh, and and so there's a different value component to that than than there used to be so i i think a lot a big part of this is going to be on distribution to continue to demonstrate that they have the value and and many of them have invested in e-commerce obviously so that they can you know so they can demonstrate that um you know they they have the value and and you know that they there's they should continue to be relevant for manufacturers because at the end of the day obviously manufacturers many manufacturers have always wondered you know where are the holes in my distribution right where where is the where are the spaces where i'm really not getting the kind of depth that i should be uh, or i have i have channel partners that that you know don't service regions or 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 certain product lines or whatever it is so so at the end of the day uh you know manufacturers you know they still need channel partners to support products on the you know on the street oftentimes in many of these b2b spaces that's really what it comes down to you know there's there's a contract or there's uh, uh you know some kind of uh, arrangement that uh, you know that a, that a distribution partner is uh, is is fulfilling yeah. and and manufacturers don't want to see that go away on the other side of things you know many of them are reviewing where can i go direct yeah. can i go direct with uh, accessories can i go direct with uh, spare parts can i go direct with discontinued items uh, things like that so so as it relates to amazon you know then uh, you know you that just is just added one more element of the channel conflict right so so many manufacturers are obviously very careful about what they do on amazon some of them have tried it i mean you look at even uh, like I, i believe colar and some of these other brands yeah. like they've just removed entirely they've kind of gone entirely away from amazon because they don't want to deal with the channel conflict yeah. so whether that's the right answer long term other companies are are obviously you know building hybrid approaches so uh, i think this is going to be the fascinating part to see and why i think distributors need to continue to push uh custom you know customer experience and and uh from a digital perspective because that's going to be the relevance for them with with manufacturers very 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 interesting do you have any stories by any chance of any e-commerce journey of any of the distributors that were dealing with buying groups 
and how their e-commerce journey looked like. What were their challenges? How did they start? Are you in a position to share any stories? Absolutely, absolutely. So we we worked with a lot of the distributors uh, in affiliated distri- affiliated distributors network. So yeah. um, so many of them are in the electrical space or plumbing okay. space or what have you. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so my my former colleague uh, Justin King, uh, when I was at B two X Partners, uh, if you've ever seen Justin, he he has one slide early on in his presentation um, that uh, you know that really came from one of the distributors we were dealing with early on, yeah. which who, who said to him, I don't know what I don't know, right? I don't know any, I don't know what I don't know about product data. I don't know what I don't know about checkout. I don't know what I don't know about design, et cetera. And so over time, um, these distributors, you know, we've worked with many of these distributors to help them understand. And now, now they're kind of at a different point where it's like, okay, we have the store up now. Yeah. Um, we have product data. Um, now we need to figure out how we add in more product data, how we, how we start getting better adoption with our customers and you know we don't know what's next right so so the store was 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 the destination and now really the store just needs to become you know the first thing in the in the in the process to to continuing to build the uh the revenue stream for e-commerce so uh so yeah that's that's the way the journey looked like for for many of these folks okay amazing so that's it for today do you have any last minute closing thoughts or remarks for our listeners. Uh, I don't. I think uh, you know, from from a distributor's perspective, obviously buying groups are great. If if there's one in your in your market segment for manufacturers, I would definitely encourage them to, uh, if they're not already, to look into to working with buying groups and and uh, and and everybody needs to get their product data in order anyway. So okay, amazing. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be buying groups is definitely a huge opportunity if your profit margins are going to be aligned with them whether you can really have them as a channel or not and if you have that then obviously that's a you know humongous opportunity overall so make sure you are at least going to find which are the buying groups that you might be able to tap into on that note i really want to thank you for your time today this has been a fascinating conversation thank you appreciate it sam of course you don't thank our guests enough for coming on the show for sharing their knowledge and journey i always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Jay or more information on platform selection, head over to b2b-squared.com. It's b2b-squared.com. Message Jay at B2B Digital Guy. It's B2B D-I-G-I-T-A-L-G-U-Y or drop a line at J at b2b-square.com. It's J-A-Y at b2b-square.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Ken Novak, who shares his insights on enabling self-funded operational plan for industrial manufacturers digital journey. Also, the interview with Phil Kerper, who shares his insights into executing on TTC strategy. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. 
Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.